Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. On March 17th, the Dickey Brennan family gave the city of New Orleans an enormous gift when they purchased the 110-year-old uptown landmark, Pascal's Manali Restaurant. This new chapter of Manali's guarantees the generations of beloved, delicious, authentic traditions will continue to be honored there on Napoleon Avenue. You may remember that in 2018, I wrote the Pascal's Manali cookbook. To celebrate the book's launch, we created a special edition of Louisiana Eats, which today has been recrafted to include this exciting new chapter for Pascal's Manali Restaurant. On this week's show, we'll explore the generational ties that have existed between Pascal's family, the De Felices, and the Brennan family for decades. Every member of the Brennan family has their own personal Manali's tale to tell of marking special occasions there with countless fun family celebrations. We'll hear from Dickie Brennan and his sister, Lauren Brennan Brower, before revisiting the story of Pascal with his nephew, Martin Radosta, who sadly passed away in 2018. And we'll hear from both the third and fourth generation of the De Felice family, who kept Frank Manali and Pascal Radosta's memory alive for over 100 years at the venerable establishment. So roll up your sleeves and get ready to dive into some buttery, buttery barbecued shrimp on this week's Louisiana Eats. When I got the call that Dickie Brennan was about to add Pascal's Manali to his family of restaurants, it literally brought tears to my eyes. When I was working on the Pascal's Manali cookbook back in 2017, I had enjoyed many conversations with the Brennans about their memories of the family's favorite uptown eatery. So I fully appreciated just what it meant to Dickie and his sister, Lauren Brennan Brower, to acquire the much-loved location. We sat down together in our Louisiana Eats studios to discuss what Manali's means to them and their plans for the New Orleans landmark. I am Lauren Brennan Brower. I used to be Dickie Brennan. I'm now Giuseppe Brennan. <laughs> I'm thrilled to see you all. Inevitably, the conversation began with the story of Aunt Adelaide Brennan, her best friend, Aunt Rary, also known as Francis Radosta de Felice of Manali's, and their matching diamond swizzle sticks. Theirs were like gold that were looked like a necklace that they did wear. 
The two running buddies both subscribed to the concept that champagne is better when the bubbles have been diminished. There was this, like a little whisk that you would put into your flute of champagne to stir to get some of the bubbles out. To accomplish this, a local jeweler crafted matching swizzle stick pendants, resplendent with diamonds and complete with a very special feature. A little button on each pendant caused diamond-tipped wires to pop out of the end, which the two bon vivants would then use to stir their glasses of champagne, dispelling those pesky bubbles. Well, I think that's where they got when they did Adelaide's. They called it the swizzle stick bar because of that piece of jewelry. The friendship between Adelaide and Aunt Rary is just one connection between the Brennans and the DeFelices. Another is both families' long history of hospitality in the city, part of what motivated Dickie Brennan and company to purchase Manali's in the first place. Look, there are not many 100-year-old restaurants in this country, and we're blessed in New Orleans. We probably have more than most cities. Um, And for us to be able to play the next chapter in an institute like a Pascal Manali's, So, I mean, we're incredibly excited, but we're incredibly grateful. Well, I think it was an opportunity that we couldn't pass up. You know, it was exciting. We grew up going there and eating there. We um, had family time there. You know, it was a neighborhood restaurant for us. I think what people don't understand, when you're in a restaurant family, you all don't celebrate at your own restaurant. You have to go someplace to other restaurants to experience that not worrying what the busboys doing and really have family time and celebrations. And isn't that what Manali's was for you all in a large way? Yeah. Look, probably one of my best memories, it was the last time I took my dad out to eat in a restaurant and right before he passed away. And uh, we went to Manali's. We went and had lunch. And there was a handful. It's George, my brother-in-law, was with us. And when it was announced that we were buying the restaurant, someone sent me a picture of the lunch. So, I mean, I have a picture of us sitting there with my dad. It was the last meal he had in a restaurant, and it was Pascal Manali's. I mean, Pascal Manali's has been a part of so many families' lives in this city. And, uh, and it certainly has been with us and with our family. Dickie, I think it was providential. I don't think you could have planned. You didn't set out to buy this restaurant on St. Patrick's Day, did you? Absolutely not. And, you know, all of a sudden it was like maybe Friday we're going to be able to sign. And we were. Every one of us independently, as we heard, we were all like. That's St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Dad is sitting at the bar in the sky, as (laughs) Aunt Ella would call it. And they're all sitting there going, look at them. Isn't this fabulous? Walking in there, I've got my dad's green jacket on that I've worn for years. I've got on a shamrock tie. And so a lot of it was thinking about him on that day. And But it is so familiar for me as to when I was a kid walking around Commanders in the beginning days. I mean, just the kitchen tile. I mean, all these things, seeing the wood or the ceiling. I mean, it brings back a lot of great memories and I'd love to have a crystal ball and be able to look 10 years from now and kind of see how we evolve the restaurant without changing 
Pascal Manalis. We truly want it to continue to go down the path of being in its glory and people loving it and being excited because to hear the stories of how many of our friends like going, my grandfather sat on that table every Friday night and I was with him for 20 years and don't you change it. You know, we don't own Manalis. About 100,000 people in New Orleans own Manalis <laughs> and we respect that. So we're just glad we get to be a part of the next chapter and not screw it up. Yes. I don't imagine the menu's going to change much. We just we want to go back and revisit the recipes and make them what they're supposed to be. And But we don't want you to walk in and go, oh, this isn't Manali's. We want you to walk in and go, this is what I remember 20 years ago. You know, it's wonderful. We, You know, I'm so glad to be back here. The building itself is so unusual in so many ways. How do you see becoming the custodians of this new space? Right. Well, I think right now we're just kind of feeling it out and seeing how it works and how the rooms work. We are starting this week, next week, to put on a new roof. Oh, no. We that did. is our number one priority. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think we kind of see ourselves almost rebuilding the building from the inside out, you know, and, and just making it beautiful again and, and finished and and just updating a few things, and but making it still home. You know, at Commanders, I remember my dad saying, I wish people knew how much we put in the walls, you know, because these old buildings and stuff, I mean, you really, and, and you know, they're, you get to certain times where it's like, all right, now we've got to do some work. So, I mean, right now the first stage for us is we just have to take care of the, the things you'll never see, you know, and it's upgrading electricity, it's plumbing, it's these type of things. So we want to get that all where it needs to be. And as we're doing that, like Lauren said, we, we walked the day, you know, we signed the deal. We went from the attorney's office. We walked into the building. We just said, you know, hi, we're your new family, and we're looking forward to working with every one of you. Y'all are a great team, you know, and our hope is that our team brings support. We're not coming in here to change y'all, change the world. We're here to be a part of it, and hopefully – to run a restaurant, there's a lot that goes on that people never realize what we go through every day to put that plate of food in front of you or bring you a drink. But I think what I'm excited about is for this team that every day wakes up and turns on Manali's, they're going to get some nice support from us that we're blessed to have. And it should make their day a lot easier. And at the same time, you know, then, then in, in that process as we're doing this, to refine some things. You know, we're not going to change it, but, you know, if we can make something better, we want to make it better. Well, I am so thrilled to be able to take this little snapshot of the beginning. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And like thank I said. Thank you for having us. We just really want to dig down and, and understand the history of Pascal Manali so that it plays a part in the future. That was Dickie Brennan and his sister, Lauren Brennan Brower, proud new owners of the historic Pascal's Manali Restaurant.
Coming up next, we delve into the history behind Pascal's Manali Restaurant by speaking with members of three generations of the original owners. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways, Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Now celebrating their centennial by donating one million bowls of beans to Second Harvest Food Bank. What a way to say thank you to the community they call home. To learn more and view the new video by award-winning documentary filmmaker Joe York, visit CamelliaBrand.com. Since 1913, Pascal's Manali has been a bastion of Italian cuisine in New Orleans and a place steeped in tradition. Those traditions were established by four generations of the same family who owned and ran the Uptown Landmark for its first 106 years. The story begins with the immigration of Frank Manali and his siblings from Sicily in 1892. Two years after arriving in New Orleans, Frank's sister Francesca married Martin Radosta, another Sicilian immigrant from the same hometown. They had seven children together, and in the years after Frank opened Manali's, those siblings became the backbone of the restaurant for decades. The oldest of Frank Manali's nephews was Pascal Radosta, who was a fixture behind Manali's bar from its earliest days. When his uncle Frank died in 1932, Pascal took over the restaurant, expanded operations, and changed its name to Pascal's Manali. In 2018, I published Pascal's Manali Cookbook, which explored the history of the family and their influence on the city's culinary culture. As part of my research into those early days, I interviewed Pascal's nephew, Martin H. Radosta, whose stories helped paint a colorful picture of his family's history. Sadly, Martin died in May 2018, before we had the chance to sit down with him in the studio. But then I remembered when I spoke to him in 2017 while gathering material for the book, I recorded audio of our conversation. 
Let done. me show you what I got here. I got a little book. A whole bunch of things in here on Frank Manali and Pascal Rodasta. I want you to tell me everything that you know. Were you going to write? Yeah, I'm going to write. I'm going to write notes for myself, but also I'm recording every single thing, so I'll have it on my computer, and I can go back and listen to it. The recorder sat on the table between us as we chatted for two hours about his family's history. I'm ready. Martin began by telling me stories about his uncle Pascal's uncle, Frank Manali. Frank Manali Jr., born February 19, 1880. He was a bootlegger, uh-huh. he, he had horses, it. stocks, and Dixie Brewery Company. Frank Minnelli was a bootlegger who owned racehorses and loved to play the stock market before the 1929 crash. As for Dixie Beer, they acquired exclusivity at Minnelli's by providing the Brunswick Bar that still graces the restaurant today. Minnelli's liquor sales proved profitable from the start and continued so through Prohibition. Absinthe frappes and other alcoholic beverages were served secretly in coffee cups up until the repeal of the 18th Amendment. So so if you wanted a cup of coffee, I, I, I would get you a coffee cup, a plastic cup, whatever, but they ain't had no coffee in it, though. Oh, they, they, you, had a, okay. you had a drink. Located in the back of the building was a barber shop and a bookie on premise as well. Undoubtedly, much cash changed hands there. And despite Frank's claim that he never brought the day's receipts home, some thought otherwise. But I know he knew a lot of uh, racetrack people, the betters. Mm-hmm. He, he knew a lot of gamblers. Mm-hmm. He knew a lot of everything. As Martin pointed out to me, Many of the racehorse gamblers who frequented the restaurant regularly traveled around the country visiting different racetracks. As it turns out, in 1954, one of those racetrack folks was responsible for introducing Pascal to an unusual shrimp dish he had enjoyed in Chicago. His name was Joe Sutro, and he told Pascal about this dish that he had, but it was so good that he wanted to show him. He took Pascal into the kitchen and they made some barbecue shrimp. He says, man, this is going to be a winner. Uh-huh. And from what I understand, if they tried to put something on the menu that wasn't on the menu, he had his friends, didn't make it and serve it to you. Mm-hmm. You yeah, liked it, went. we kept it. You didn't like it? Uh-huh. See you later. He just ran a little poll there. Right. And they've been doing it ever since. The restaurant was a neighborhood hub, frequented by politicians, celebrities, sports figures, and locals alike. Manali's was always a real prestige restaurant. If you were somebody, Frank might talk to you. And same way with Pascal. Pascal had a lot of friends. Pascal had very important friends. You know, I'm talking about a guy that he wasn't a school guy or an attorney or anything, but he made himself into a prominent person. Everybody wanted to be a pal of Pascal, who was affectionately known as Pass, including F. Edward Bear, Louisiana's longest-serving member of the U.S. House of Representatives. 
Hebert was quoted as saying, Manali's is the only restaurant I know where the customer is always wrong. That's because when Hebert ordered steak, Paz told him he was having oysters instead. And he did. The congressman had this to say about his friend Pascal. If a customer whose look he didn't like walked through the doors with the bar packed with patrons, he would tell him, I'm sorry, but we're closed. They had to pay attention because this guy was cruel. I know he had a, he had a shootout in his own garage. Everybody in, in Manalis carried guns. I mean, it was an arsenal. <laughs> I carried a gun all my life and I never used it. But I carried it because everybody else had one with the help. So, so did I. Through much of the 1960s and 70s, Martin functioned as maitre d' at the restaurant, a job he relished. Most nights, the bar was packed with hungry guests waiting to be called for an open table. Martin remembered using the loudspeaker to call guests to their table. I used to have more fun with that mic. You know, when you're at the mic and everybody's out there and everybody's talking and talking and the crowd gets to be noisier and noisier. And every now and then I'd go to the mic and I'd say, paging. But I wouldn't say nothing else. So everybody else would shut up. I said, no, I'm just kidding. Some nights, the crowd was so thick that guests with reservations couldn't get to the podium. They would call the restaurant from the payphone at the door and say, we're here, but we can't get in. And once you were in, Martin wasn't going to let you go. When told that there was a wait of an hour and a half, one regular customer protested, making a scene. And he would hang around right where I was, trying to keep a book with the names and talking on the mic and everything, and I had him to contend with, a PIA, you understand? So finally I told him, I said, look, if you don't shut up, I said, i got to do something to move you from here. Go sit down, go somewhere. Well, blah, blah, blah. I said, said to myself, I'll fix this. And I went in the bar behind the register. They had drawers there. From the drawer, Martin grabbed a hammer and nail and walked back to the impatient customer. Martin grabbed the guy's tie and nailed it to the bar. Nailed his thing to the counter. I said, now you want to stay here? Now you got a reason to stay here. I nailed him to the bar. What did he do? He ain't doing, going to do nothing. What he's going to do? How long did he stay there with his tie nailed to the bar? Well, until I pulled it out with the hammer. <laughs> That was the late Martin H. Radosta speaking to me in 2017. If you're interested in hearing more stories like this one from Manali's early days, you'll find them between the pages of the Pascal's Manali cookbook. We move from the third to the fourth generation of the original owners of Pascal's Manali. After Pascal Radosta died of a heart attack in his office in 1958, Manali's continued to be a family affair. 
All of his children were involved at one time or another, but most longtime Manali's customers will remember Pascal's daughter, Frances Radosta de Felice, who ran her father's restaurant throughout the 70s and 80s. It was Frances de Felice who was Adelaide Brennan's best friend. Remember the story of the matching swizzle stick necklaces? In fact, Dickie, T. Martin, and all the Brennan's cousins of that generation even had their own special name for Frances. They called her Aunt Rary. In 1988, Virginia DeFelice, Pascal's youngest daughter, and her family purchased the restaurant from her sister, Frances. Bob DeFelice is Virginia's son and Pascal's grandson. We spoke just before the Pascal's Manali cookbook debuted in 2018. One of the interesting things about your family is that although the original was Manali, and then your grandfather's last name was Radasta, your mother and your aunt Ranry, they married brothers. Tell us about how the De Felice name comes in and the life that you all had that really wasn't a city life. No, it wasn't at all. Actually, my Uncle Steve, who married my mom's sister, Frances, my Uncle Steve and my father had a business in Myrtle Grove called Myrtle Grove Packing Company, and it was a huge facility that specialized mostly in canning seafood, but they would can anything. We even had, they had a, a line of fig preserve called De Felice's Delight that they canned and sold in the stores uh, here. But my mom grew up on Louisiana Avenue Parkway, which was one of the ritzy places of, at the time and then, of course, the, with the restaurant, there was always something going on. My dad, on the other hand, where they grew up, I mean, not that they were starving or anything, but it was lean time. My dad was born in a little shotgun house on uh, LA 308 in Cutoff, Louisiana, on Bay Lafourche. And then when my mom married my dad, which was in, I want to say, 48, 1948, having the factory. The, the Motor Grove Packing Company, we call it the factory, Motor Grove Packing Company, which they started that business in 1950, they moved to Myrtle Grove. So my mom went from, you know, the ritzy part of the city to being in the middle of nowhere with the mosquitoes and the lizards and the snakes and the spiders and the alligators and everything else. And she's definitely afraid of spiders for sure. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a big difference. One of the great treats of coming here is having a chance to look at all the pictures that go from floor to ceiling of famous athletes, famous musicians, famous actors and actresses. Tell us a little bit about the celebrity side of Pascal's Manali. Well, I guess in the early years, how Pascal's Manali became popular, or Manali restaurant became popular was when folks would have out-of-town guests come in, they would bring them here to get away from the hustle and bustle of downtown and the French Quarter and downtown and, and all of that. And that's how we kind of became very popular. So over the years, the celebrities found out about where we were and started coming. And I guess word got out because you look at the uh, book that Pascal started and some of the names that are in there. And, and I know it's in the book 
But it's just incredible the people that came through here that everybody would know, uh, celebrities from, from all over the world, really, and uh, sports figures from probably all over the world. You all are managing to entice a third generation of Mannings because I hear Archie comes here with his grandchildren all the time. That is correct. They're, they're in here fairly often, and that's pretty exciting to have the third generation of the Mannings coming in. But, you know, we have, in some cases, fourth and fifth generation that families that have been coming here since the beginning that are coming today. It's incredible. One, one night we had four generations in one of the private rooms, in that private room, four generations of family in that room. Our customers, they're the best. And they're loyal, and they come week in and week out. Some of them come, you know, multiple times during the week or once a month. You know, that's the backbone of this business is our regular customers and them being faithful to us even when, you know, the times that we've had some hard times like Katrina. And and then we had the oil spill. And then we had almost four years of Napoleon Avenue being torn up for some subsurface drainage work. And you could hardly even get here. And we still had people that made the effort to come here. So we have special customers, and there's a bunch of them. And I don't want to name any names because we would be here for hours. That was Bob DeFelice, the fourth generation of family who owned and operated Pascal's Manali Restaurant. Finally, we hear from Rachel and Elizabeth DeFelice, two members of the fifth generation who owned and ran Pascal's Manali. Each of them was instrumental in helping me put the Pascal's Manali cookbook together. When they joined us in the studio, we talked about their earliest memories of the restaurant and, of course, the cookbook. Elizabeth, what does this book mean to you? Let's talk about how long <laughs> your mother and you know you're you're the only child of course of yes. the only surviving sister of the De Felice family and this is something that your mama wanted huh yeah when i first started working with the family um <clears throat> my mom showed me a list of her goals that she had when they took over which was i guess 30 years ago and cookbook was at the top of the list and <laughs> it was funny because Shortly thereafter, you came into the mix with Mark, and he mentioned that you wanted to do the book, and I was thinking, oh, God, this is never going to happen because it was a goal 30 years ago that didn't get accomplished. (laughs) And so when he kind of put me in charge of sort of spearheading it with you, I realized that this maybe could become a reality. So it's very special to see our family history unfolded in this book and all of the great food and just the memories it means a lot it's great i i can't i still feel like it's a dream and it's not real mm-hmm. i'm gonna wake up and this is gonna be a dream that we had and it's still gonna be the 30-year plan years ago um 
Elizabeth, what are your earliest memories of being at the restaurant and working at the restaurant? Um, I mean, definitely uh, one of my earliest memories is going there after school. My mom would pick me up and I would have to go there, you know, for her to finish her work day and going in the kitchen and like standing on a crate to help make the bread pudding. I don't know. I remember it was so funny that you just use your bare hands to like mix all that stuff together. I hung out in the kitchen a lot. I mean, I definitely can't cook like Rachel can. So, yeah, I grew up working there my, my whole life. Just as a, even as a small kid, I would come in, do little small jobs. Like I, I was the shrimp peeler and the potato peeler. That's what I did for a while and peeled onions as well. <laughs> and just loved it, just loved being in the kitchen, loved the energy. And I just knew this is what I wanted to do. Your grandparents were at the restaurant, you know, right up until their death. In essence, in oh, many ways, them, yeah. I imagine Manali's was like going to grandma and grandpa's in a lot of ways. Yeah, oh, yeah. We definitely yeah. spent a lot of lunches and dinners there with them. I mean, I was working there probably in the last couple of years of his life, so it was different not to like sit down and enjoy lunch. But we still did a lot of family celebrations, birthdays, their anniversary. My grandfather's 80th birthday was at the restaurant, which was really nice. He loves to alligator hunt, and we got an ice sculpture. My mom was in charge, of course. She did a great job. She got an ice sculpture made of an alligator, and we had it in the room to the right, the banquet room, and um, it was a surprise party for him. But So we did have a lot of memories with them, as well as Mardi Gras. My mama didn't come to Mardi Gras, but my papa Mm -hmm. loved Mardi Gras day at Manali's. What was it like to him when you all would come to work there? It must have been, it must have just been nothing but great joy. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could tell. I mean, he loved, he loved us being there, of course. And I loved when he was there, especially because everyone was just on their P's and Q's, like (laughs) extra, like no one messed up. You know, everyone was, because he was, he was, he was a very kind man, but he was also all about business and, yeah. He was very smart, very smart, which is where I think I get my attention to detail from. Even as far as, like, the the ice machine. I, I was just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> the ice machine. Uh, it's just so, it's just one of his little <laughs> Still to, like, the end of, end of his life, yeah. So the first thing he does when he comes in is opens the ice machine and if, because the ice releases on the left side. So if it's all piled up on the left side, he'll grab the ice scoop and scoop it all over. I mean, at... <laughs> At 90 years old, he was, yeah, he still, was still doing, doing that. that. Yeah, <laughs> It's just, it's like those little things that actually do matter in the end, you know, and that's what we, I think we learned a lot. Yeah. From Attention him to on detail that. for sure. I know when I told him I was starting to work there, he was excited about it and proud to see that, you know, we wanted to be a part of that family legacy. Rachel and Elizabeth DeFelice speaking with us in 2018. The restaurant continues today, now owned and operated by Dickie Brennan's Restaurant Group. As Dickie said to us earlier in this episode, their goal is to keep the restaurant the same and keep alive those traditions established by five generations of family. Which of Louisiana's important political characters makes an appearance in both the Tujac's Restaurant Cookbook 
and the Pascal's Manali book. Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, Plan to stay, play, and get away on the Louisiana North Shore this spring. Discover the bounty of the bayou and rich culture from award-winning chefs, soulful mom-and-pop restaurants, extraordinary bakers, and creative mixologists. To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries, and event information at louisiananorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter and a world away. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Culinary Institute. Which of Louisiana's most important political characters makes an appearance in both the Tujac's Restaurant Cookbook and the Pascal's Manali book? It's F. Edward Hebert, Louisiana's longest-serving congressman. F. Edward Hebert was a great friend of Pascal's and, in fact, credited him with Hebert's political success. He inscribed the guest book there. It all began at Manali's with Pascal. Needless to say, you can find photos of F. Edward Hebert and his buddy passed throughout the Manali's book. But you can also find F. Edward Hebert in the Tujac's book, too. Those Louisiana politicians really know good food. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. All right, I'm Thomas Stewart. Some people call me Uptown T, and we have Pascal Manali's Restaurant. New Orleans walks to the beat of a different drummer. That's evident in everything we do, including hospitality. Whether it's the doorman at the Hotel Monteleon, Chris McMillan serving up stories and drinks at Revel Cafe and Bar, or Uptown Tea. Oyster shucker extraordinaire at Pascal's Manali. So far, so good. You are guaranteed to get some friendly banter and great service from him at the oyster bar there, along with some delicious oysters. On a busy afternoon, I stood at the oyster bar at Pascal's Manali while Uptown T, Thomas Stewart, served up a full dish of repartee 
along with a few oysters. I've been here at this bar for about 25 years. Um, started off in the kitchen and just worked, moved my way through the kitchen and learned pretty much all the different stations and uh, the different dishes and the menu, what have you. And uh, one day they had a position of the oyster bar where the guy didn't come in or whatever, no call, no show, and they needed oyster sucker. And I asked the chef, could I give it a try? But he didn't want to lose me in the kitchen. But all the same time, I'm like, quote, unquote, you're not losing me, you're gaining me because I can work the kitchen and if I could work the front of the house too, I mean, what more? Before you became the oyster shucker, you started off as dishwasher here in the dish room and it was 10 years in the kitchen before we got to meet you out front. Yes, that is correct because I just wanted something different. Get a little warm in that kitchen and I could take the heat. You know, if you can't take the heat, stay out the kitchen. I couldn't stay out the kitchen, but I just wanted to learn something different. I found, when I found out that I can become a people's person, I decided to work my way through it. So chef one time, he gave me a chance at it, and I walked up to him and said, uh, hey man, I see you have an uh, application I want to put in for usher shuck. I see the ad in the paper, but I'm working here, okay? And uh, he was like, I guess he was fascinated by that for me to say that. And he gave me a chance, and I worked the kitchen during lunchtime. And when I didn't have anything in the back to do and they needed an oyster sucker, I'd come up front and tap on some oysters. And then as time progressed, and he saw what I can do by proving myself and showing him what I can do, here I am, 25, 26 years later, and I'm still knocking at the door saying, my feet is on the ground, they sunk into the soil, I'm established now, and I enjoy what I do. And I'm going to constantly do it until I just can't do it anymore. Well, here comes the moment we all wait for. Here at Pascal Manali's when somebody comes up with a chip. I, I, I come with my chip. All right, well I got a half a dozen coming at you in 3D. Right. So you better strap up your parachute because I'm going to take you up for a long ride in the sky. <laughs> I'm ready for it. All right, I hope you are ready because I'm going to get down with the get down. And then you're going to have to learn how to get back up and do it again because we're going to do it over and over and over until right, your heart is content. You know, Thomas, I just love that. This must be a first-time Manali's oyster eater because she was surprised by the fact that you were flipping that oyster right up on the marble bar for her. Yes, yes. Some people get fascinated by that because they never stood at an oyster bar and eat oysters. They always sat down. Well, this is one of the oldest that I was told stand-up oyster bars in New Orleans. What's the secret to opening an oyster the right way? Um... Not basically a secret, but sometimes, by like I said before, by doing it so many times, and you get the hang of how to do it, you have to get to know the oyster, meaning observe it, you know, when you first before you start, so you can look at each oyster differently, because they're all shaped in one by length, not always in width, mostly length. That's how they grow, like a tree would grow, like agriculture, aquaculture, and because of that. Every time you pick up that oyster, you don't have to look at it to see where to put the knife to open it up. You just grab it and go for it because it's a field thing. It's a field thing. You just have to know how to put your fingers right up on it and say, I got you, baby. <laughs> Thomas, you do have your way with oysters. Now tell us, how did you get that name, Uptown T? Well, first of all, I'm from Uptown. I live Uptown, New Orleans practically all my born days and 
my little customers come in and come in and they always saying T, saying T, T. That's what they call me instead of Tama because they can't remember T. So one of my little customers that used to come in and he always say Uptown, Uptown. Then I said, then I picked up on it. And then when people ask me my name, I give them my little phrase of who I am by not a chant, not rap, not singing, but it's just in a jiving way of speaking. And I would say, they would say, well, what's your name? I say, Puddin' Tang. You ask me again, I'm going to tell you the same. I am, I am of Town T, the one and only one beneath the sun. Often imitated, but never can be duplicated. When I say 3D, you better step back, relax, because you're going to see me, Uptown T, and you can call me Thomas. And you know what I say? Chow, 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 baby. What is your favorite thing about working here at Manali's Behind the Oyster Bar? People. People. I would say people, other than just liking the shuck oysters, it's, it's an intense job. Get rough sometimes. You have a bunch of folks that you're trying to feed all that, not at one time, but trying to accommodate everyone. So by being, when it's like that, you're on a good move. So I have to have a way of having the people comfortable while I'm serving them because I'm serving more than just one person and I only can open one oyster at a time. So I get into the groove of the people by feeling their vibes. If their vibes are groovy, then I pick up on it, take that spoonful of sugar, add it to my tea, stir it up and taste it and I'll make it so sweet. Now, not everybody knows this, but I do. On Mondays here, when they serve red beans and rice, you're cooking the red beans and rice. I would not call myself the red bean king, but I can cook a pretty mean pot of red beans that folks would enjoy. You cook with love, you cook with flavor. I just do it simply, you know, like mama used to cook. When mama used to cook the food and make her red beans, she did it simple, plain simple, but yet good. And that's the key, the goodness. And the goodness have to come from your heart, which is called love, L-O-V-E, baby. I didn't know you was famous uptown TV. <laughs> <laughs> she like chocolate on top of cherry. So sweet. I created a lot of friends by just standing behind this oyster bar, by just being who I am, you know, and I try to stay humble or keep myself humble so I can have people to come back and not just see me, but for this establishment and all of the family. The Oyster Bar is, of course, right here across from the door. So, in essence, you're kind of the front door here at Manali's. Um, Pretty much, yeah. And I actually, believe it or not, I, I consider what you're saying on that because I have the little elderly ladies that have been coming in forever and ever and how long, and they walk through that door sometimes, and they happen to look over here at the Oyster Bar. And they'll look for me, and if I'm not up here, I could be in the kitchen or something. Then when I come up here, they're eating, and when they leave, they'll look at me and say, now, where you've been? Why you wasn't up here at the oyster bar when I came in? Because I'd make them smile. Not really make them smile, but I created a pattern for them to smile by greeting them. And if it's a little elderly lady, I'll say, hey, girlfriend, how you doing? Yeah, I have this one particular lady, if you don't mind, comes in with her husband. And every time she walks through that door, I say, hey, girlfriend. She say, hey, boyfriend. And she walks up to the bar and kisses me on the cheek. And a little husband just stand there and look at me and say, oh, no, nah, I'm going to have trouble with you again today, man. I'm like, no, I'm just keeping it live for you and myself. Because I don't want her to beat me up. And I definitely don't want you to hurt me. So I'm going to keep us smiling so you can smile. And he say, okay, I'm going to take that one and go with it. But, yeah, that's the kind of fun I have. 
Well, Thomas, thank you for this. Thank you for being the front door here and for all of the many delicious oysters that you have opened for me here at the bar at Pascal's Manali. Thank you, Thomas. And you're so very welcome, and I hope to see you again sometime, and you bring that sunshine with you every time you come, okay? Even if it's raining. Cha-cha-cha, baby. Thomas Stewart of Pascal's Manali. Ciao, 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 baby. Ciao, ciao, bambina. Un bacio ancora. E poi per sempre. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats. Edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of episodes are available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, and the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. And from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlow and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, writer Becky Reitz, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladu. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. (laughs) 